everyone. Welcome to Second, Second Generation. Generation. I'm Sophia. I'm Hannah. And I'm David. And today's special guest, we have our friend Gabby. Hi. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a quarter Japanese and otherwise very, <laughs> very white. I'm a freshman here studying journalism in Spanish. How do you know us? Uh, we all live together in Spanish. Yes, CFC. we do. It's great. So when you were growing up, did pe- were people like aware that you were part Asian? I mean, sort of. Like, I look very white, so it's not something people would have guessed right away. But it was always one of those, like, fun fact things. So when we had, like, culture day in school, you know, the teachers would always ask my mom to bring in, like, our Japanese dolls and, like, make sushi or something. So it was something that people were aware of once they knew me. And then it became sort of, like, a weird thing in that most of my school was, like, or almost 100% of my school was very white growing up. So when I left, I was told that I couldn't leave because I was the diversity. Wow. Diversity matters. <laughs> <laughs> so did people treat you differently as the sort of diversity? As the school? token Asian kid. Right, yeah. right. Which is funny because I'm really not. But like, <laughs> Definitely because once they knew, they would, like, either make jokes about it like I got the the eye thing a lot or like I got called names which I'm not going to say on the air (laughs) because I am a white person also um yeah there would be sometimes where people just like wouldn't believe me which is fine like it's valid (laughs) but also I don't know what to tell them I guess I don't really care what they like whether they believe it so how do you relate to your Japanese culture Ooh, um that's a tough one like how much I guess like how Japanese was your life growing up? Yeah, well, so when my grandmother came to the United States, she made a very, very determined effort to force all of her kids to assimilate so Mm -hmm. that they would be accepted because Mm -hmm. she faced so much discrimination. Mm -hmm. So even like my mother, who's half Japanese, doesn't have as strong of a relationship to her culture as like a lot of the half Asian people Mm -hmm. that I know nowadays Mm -hmm. um, for that reason. So I definitely didn't have that much exposure to it growing up. Like we would have mochi on the new year. We would eat Pocky or whatever, and we would go visit my grandmother. She lived in Ohio, so we didn't get to see her that often. We were several hours apart. But when we did see her, like, I was aware, and I had a book of Japanese fairy tales that I would read, so, like, I had some relation to it growing up, but I sort of kind of tried to ignore it because it was a reason that I got made fun of, and, like, I didn't really feel comfortable with it because I don't look Asian. So now I'm trying to reach out and, like, accept it more. So what forms has that taken? Like, how have you tried to reconnect? I think a lot of it has to do with, like, processing and learning more about my grandmother's history. Part of the reason that I want to dive more into my Asian background is because of all the things she went through. And I don't want that to just, like, die out because she's no longer alive, you know, because she went through a lot. And I feel like her experience is important and it's incredibly unique but it's also a part of like the larger story of immigration to the United States and feeling forced to assimilate to kind of white American culture so really just diving into her story and learning more about it I've also like subtle Asian traits has been really helpful <laughs> um, going to like dim sum or whatever having a good time I don't know it's been fun so you seem to uh, have a lot of your grandma in mind when you're thinking about your Asian identity could you tell us a little bit about her Sure. So my grandmother's name was Katsuko uh, Ujihara, and she lived in Japan. She was born in Japan, and she lived there until she was around 30. Um, She grew up during World War II, so uh, there was an air raid near her school, and a piece of shrapnel decapitated her best friend and lodged in her arm. 
So that's like the beginning of her struggle. And then um, her family had her in an arranged marriage, but right before she got married, she eloped with an American GI, my grandfather, because she wanted to get out of this arranged marriage. And she kind of expected the whole American dream, you know, white picket fence, suburban living, whatever. But what she ended up getting was an abusive husband, five children, and a single wide trailer. And then her husband ended up leaving her. She didn't really speak English very well. She couldn't drive. She worked for less than minimum wage, which was at that time $2.33 an hour. So, like, she had a really rough time. She was heavily discriminated against not only for like not being able to speak English very well and for her appearance but also because this was right around the time of like the Korean War so everyone hated Asian people. So how do you feel the um, the white side of your family has interacted with the Asian side? Did they click together? Yeah I mean my family on my mom's side is very melded together. We're all just kind of a hot mess. We have a lot of fun. We're all very loud, very in your face. I don't know. It's less about like the difference between who's Asian and who's not. Like that doesn't really come into it. It's just sort of a fun thing. We all laugh about my grandmother because she was very much a character at the end of her life. So we like to talk about those memories, but it's mostly just about coming together as a family and a fun group of people. Oh, just curious. Do you have any more family members on the Japanese side of your family? Not that I'm aware of. From what I understand, most of my grandmother's relatives have passed away, but I am not super familiar with our si- or with that side of our family, just because when my grandmother broke off the arranged marriage and eloped with my grandfather, she was disowned from the family. So uh, okay. I don't know any of them. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I'm really proud of like my heritage and specifically my grandmother, just as much for being a strong woman and like surviving everything that she did as for anything else. You know, I'm just really proud of that and that's kind of what I associate with this part of my identity. Um, so I guess what are some of the struggles that you've encountered just trying to find and like build your identity here as, as someone who's like mixed race? I think a lot of it has been white guilt, quite honestly, <laughs> because I feel bad claiming this part of my heritage a lot of the time when I don't experience the discrimination that comes with it because I don't look Asian. And so there's like this big conflict in me where my grandmother sacrificed everything so that we could have this better life and Mm -hmm. she would want us to accept who we are and to be a part of everything but she also had this part where like she experienced so much discrimination that she felt she had to assimilate and that her family had to. So kind of this conflict between should I or should I not even be thinking about this. Do you think your mom's parenting was influenced significantly by her being half Asian? Oh, I definitely think so. For the fact that she had an Asian mother? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My mom is like, I like to joke that she's sort of a tiger mom, even though she doesn't look it, Um, just because she was always very strict. Yeah, I think she was definitely influenced by the way she was raised. I feel like largely whether you feel the need to assimilate to white America or not just depends on where you live in America, Mm -hmm. Um, specifically because I was born in white America, Pennsylvania, and then I lived there for six years, the first six or seven years of my life before moving to mini Asia, aka (laughs) the Bay Area, mini China. We literally just call it mini China because like all the signs are in Chinese. Um, The school is like 60% Asian, so it's it's basically Asia. Um, You feel, I mean, of course, like, as a kid, you are influenced by the people you're surrounded by. So, uh, growing up, when I was in preschool, I was the only Asian kid in my preschool, and it felt 
no matter what I did, like I never fully fit in. When I came to Mini Asia, where supposedly like I could fit in because 60% of the school looked like me, I still didn't feel Asian enough. I, cause I, at that point, I wasn't like super good with Korean. Um, part of the reason why I am at the level I am today is because in Asian guilt. <laughs> I had to relearn Korean because I felt like, wow, all these other kids are like super fluent with Chinese. I have to be as good as they are. And then part of the reason why I was in advanced math was because, oh shit, everyone else is in advanced math. I have to be in advanced math. And it's like, oh, part of the reason why I developed decent drawing skills is because, wow, everyone else is decent at drawing. I have to be decent at drawing too. So it largely depends on where you grow up because I do know back where I went to high school, aka Bay Area, like there was a clear racial divide between like all the white kids and the Asian kids who were friends. And like there was not like a total sense of shame but there was like a little bit it did look a little strange like we did look strangely on the asian people who liked to hang out with the white people and who didn't necessarily like connect with their asian side because of how asian dominant the culture is in the bay area i mean i think it's important that if if you are fully Asian, if you're half Asian, if you're a quarter Asian, like you can identify as Asian. It doesn't mean that you need to be completely immersed in the language or the culture because oh, I yeah, think yeah. everyone who is Asian does have some pieces of them that are rooted in culture, language, or just like kind of how they were raised. Yeah. So I've always felt not as Asian because in comparison, you know, my friends are better at the language, the culture and all that stuff. And I think it's kind of taken me to come here and be a little separated from that to figure yeah. out like, yeah, there are actually parts of me I do embrace and there are parts of me that aren't as Asian, maybe more rooted in American culture and that's okay. Yeah, I know coming here um, after joining CASA, which is the Korean American Student Association, there's like a weird sense of where I do feel at home because I am with a bunch of people who have gone through similar experiences as me you know, growing up Korean-American. But it's also a weird sense of not feeling Korean enough because there are a lot of people there who are from Korea and who speak the language better. And then sometimes, like, some cultural jokes I just don't understand sometimes. But, like, honestly, be who you want to be. As long as you're not hurting anyone, it's like, I mean, why not? Like, if you're a little more American, if you're a little more Asian, like, if you like to drink hot water, if you like to drink cold water, <laughs> like, just, just do what you want. All right, so I think we're gonna wrap it up. Today's snack of the week is sticko. So if you're familiar with um, pirouettes, the American snack, um, the like long wafers that are rolled up with some cream in them, uh, sticko is like the Filipino version of that, and they have some interesting flavors such as ube, which is um, a purple yam that's very popular in the Philippines. Oh, ube is so good. And it's just a very like delicious snack, you know, not too filling, so you can eat a bunch of them. I love sticko so much. Highly recommend that you try it. Please come to CRC and take the sticko. So, David, stop saying sticko mode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm David. I'm Hannah. And I'm Sophia. And we're signing out. Our theme music was composed by Tenny Sang. This is NBN Audio.